Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. That's a, a New Testament coffee shop, by the way. Yeah, nobody got that. That was, that was bad. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> so I'm going to answer the question today. Is church membership biblical and is it necessary? Okay. Is church membership biblical and is it necessary? But I want to warn you right off the top that there is no command in Scripture to be a member of a church. There's nothing that says thou shalt be a member of a church. You're just not going to find it. But I would also say that there's nothing in Scripture that says there is a trinity. What we have are biblical principles and we have all kinds of passages that point to the fact that there is a trinity. But you won't find the word trinity in the Scripture. And so you have this, you have this understanding of what is because the Bible tells us all of the details around it. And so we come to the conclusion of, well, if this is who God the Father is, if this is who Christ the Son is, is if this is who the Holy Spirit is, then because of what the Scripture says, we can come to the conclusion that, yes, we do serve a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so it's the same thing actually with a lot of, the, the, of a lot of our faith. So if you're looking for a verse that says thou shalt be a member or thou shalt not be a member, you won't find it. But if you look at the whole of Scripture and if you look at the intent of Scripture, what you will find is, yes, indeed, being a member of a local church body is, in fact, something that is biblical. And it's also something that is necessary, necessary for two, necessary for you and necessary for us. So we live in a very individualistic society. Wouldn't you agree? We live in a world of me. Now, you know, there's all kinds of blame that can go wrong. We can point our fingers at different reasonings for that. But I think all of us understand that that me and my needs are the primary um, goal of, of most people. Now, that's not to say that we don't care about other people. It's not to say that we don't do kind things. But at the end of the day, as a matter of fact, I had a conversation with a guy just about two weeks ago. We went all the way around the circle in about 30 minutes of a conversation. And I asked him, I said, so what, what are you really getting at? What's the point? Is this, is this really about you? And he goes, yes, it's all about me. I'm trying now. And, and, and it just, it clarified what so many of us wrestle with. Me versus you, me versus others. But here's the thing. The best way to care for you is to be within the context of a community. To be within a body of believers. Because the most important part of you is your eternal you. It's your soul. Because your body is one day going to be gone. Your mind is one day going to be gone. But your soul, your spirit is eternal. It's going to live forever. So you ought to consider, I ought to consider, what am I doing to care for my own soul? Biblically, the way you care for your soul is always within the context of community. That is within the context of a body where other people have a part of our life. So Hebrews chapter 10. Now, we're going to take 
We're going to take a jet tour through this first part of this passage. And I apologize for that. But the only way to get where we're going is to go through um, this part of the passage first. And I think it'll make sense here in a minute. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse, verse 19. The scripture tells us, therefore, brothers and sisters, right? He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the people of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he, Jesus, has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who, is, who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, therefore, verse 19 says, therefore, and then verse 21 says, and since. So, in other words, this is an if-then equation. If this is the case, then this is the responsibility. If this is true, then this is true. The if in this case, and again, we don't have time to truly unpack it all. But the if in this case is that you and I were separated from God because of our sin. Sin is anything that offends God. It's violating the law of God. God is perfect in every way. So lying, stealing, cheating, adultery, all those things that we, we know in the Ten Commandments. All those things are a violation of God's law. That's sin and that separates us from God, right? So here's the thing. It's not just those 10, but we do all kinds of things that are in violation of God's law because God said, my 10 can be really boiled down to two. Love God, love people. And I can count a hundred different ways that I haven't loved people this week. I'm not proud of that. I just, anytime I'm selfish, I'm not really loving people because the opposite of love is selfishness. It's not hate. So if I'm selfish, I'm not loving. And so, you know, okay, one of the ways that I didn't love, it's true confessions. We were with a, in a family gathering this week and uh, I noticed we had one coffee pod left that was the good coffee pod, so I hit it. I took it and yeah, I know there was one, there was one coffee pod left, Josh. And so I hid it way up in the cabinet because I knew on the last day when we were going to leave the drive home, I wanted a good cup of coffee. And so, yes, selfishness. See, there you go. Right. Your own. So so all of these things, that's not really sin, by the way, that's smartness. I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> so so this this sin condemns us. This sin means that we need a savior. We need a way to make to be made right with God. And so the whole book of Hebrews is reminding the people of God that they were once far from God. God called their name and invited them into a relationship, but they started in an old covenant. The old covenant was a system of sacrifices and a system of faith that was that was that was basically um, defined by works that they had to do. So it was you're always saved by faith, but there was a whole system of how that faith looked. Hebrews 10 says that 
all of that system was a way of reminding the people that they needed a Savior, and Jesus was the Savior. And when he died, he died as the, the propitiation for our sin. In other words, he was the one who totally canceled our sin to make us right with God once and forevermore. And in doing so, he just didn't make us right with God, but he gave us access to God to where you can call God Father. You can call him, in the Bible there's a word, it's Abba, and it's a very tender word. It's this idea of daddy, right? So it's, it's, it's like a little child saying, dad, dad, daddy, right? So you have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, right? So here's what the author is saying. He's saying, because you have been reconciled to God through his sacrifice of Christ Jesus, and because you now have hope, there are two parts of you that have been transformed. Your, your soul and also your body. So what's on the inside and also what's on the outside. And verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So in other words, since we have Jesus as our high priest, the way to the father. So because Jesus is this person in our life, let us. Now here's the command. Let us. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. See the two there? The heart and the body, the soul and the body. Now this reminds me of Romans chapter 12 where it says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Right? So we're not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. The question is this. You and I live in a fallen world. We live in a place where everything in the world is counter-Christian. Because again, we live in a world that says, me first, you second. We live in a world that says, I'll do good because it makes me feel good and because I have pity and empathy on you. The kingdom of God says, not me first, but you first. The kingdom of God says, not what I want, but what God wants. The kingdom of God says, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the least. So it's totally upside down. How do you live a Christian life in a world that is screaming against the Christian life? Now, are there some things in our world that, that parallel the gospel? Yeah, sure there are. But by and large, you as a Christian are going upstream, just like a salmon would go upstream in order to go up and lay their eggs. Um, Interestingly enough, you know when a salmon goes upstream, the ultimate destiny of that salmon is to die. Did you know that? He goes upstream. Ultimately, he's going to die in order to produce fruit, to produce offspring. You as a follower of Jesus are going upstream from the moment you follow Jesus. The only way for you and I to make it, the only way for you and I to make it is to go upstream with others going upstream with us. That's the only way, because if you don't have someone else in your camp, in your corner, in your tribe, on your team, you're going to get tired and you're not going to be able to make it. It's impossible. The world is too harsh and the world is too tough to make it alone. So God, in his infinite wisdom, has designed a way for you and I not to be alone. He has said, 
let us, verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Listen to that. He's saying, let us grasp, let us hold on to this confession of hope. In other words, we know God's done something in us, but we live in a world that's, that's difficult. And so we're to hold on to this hope. We live in a world without hope. The world is, is hopeless in so many ways. And yet we have a view of things that say no matter how bad it gets. I know the one who wrote the story. No matter how evil it gets. I know the one who overcomes. The Lamb of God. If you go into Revelation you'll find this word overcome. Right? By the blood of the Lamb. By the word of his testimony. Right? We have overcome. And so we have this great hope. But the way that we hold on to the hope. It says this, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who has promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us watch out for one another. Your job in the kingdom of God, among some other things, is to watch out for your brother. Now, in the military, we have this very, uh, very clear understanding that no one's left behind. Now, I'm not sure how often that is always done, but I think to the best of my ability, I, I can think that most guys... They're not going to leave somebody on the battlefield, right? You ever notice in these movies how somebody will be shot and, and, and they'll actually have, 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 they, they've lost their life and yet somebody will risk their own life to go out and drag the body? Now, again, I'm not, I've never experienced that firsthand, but in my understanding from just talking to different people, there is this real sense of we will not leave you on the battlefield no matter what condition you're in because you're a team, you're a, you're, a, you're a partner, you're a friend, you're a family. There's a commitment to each other that I'm going to risk my life to protect you or at least to give you a proper, honorable burial, right? In the kingdom of God, that's what the scripture is saying. He's saying that we are to watch out for one another and do two things. Provoke love and good works. I love that word. Because I'm a poke the bear kind of guy. I mean, I, not because not I want to be mean. I just, I like to test things. And I like to, I like to move things and shake things. If you know me, you know this is true. This is what irritates most people about me, right? I'm, 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 the people can't stand me sometimes because of this. But the reason I'm doing it is, is truly because if, if you poke long enough, you can get to the very center of what's going on. You can get to the core of something. And usually problems are not what we're noticing. We're noticing symptoms of problems. So the only way to get to the problem is to poke and to prod. In fact, Leanna um, ha has this special gift of, of massage. And I don't know where she got it, but, but, but it, when, when I, uh, years ago, um, this could really sound weird. Now I'm suddenly thinking about this out loud. So just... Um, she, like, she would come into the office and, um, um, you know, there'd be people in the office and I'd be like, oh, I hurt so bad. She'd come over and she'd just, she'd poke and she'd take her thumb. She would jam it down into my neck and I'd be like, ah, I mean, I would want to die. But it's that pressure that's applied that releases the, the tension. And after the pain, I would be like, wow. I love you for what you just did. You just helped me. Great. That sounds weird. Uh, Alan, I'm sorry, buddy. Y'all understand, understand what I'm saying here, right? So, so Sava actually has a gift. I don't know if that's any better. But, but Saga, you know, 
I, I listen, I've learned so much about life by, by, by <laughs> I've learned so much about life by, by our Indian friends. When you go to India, they are very physical. So you'll sit in the car with a bunch of dudes and they'll like have their hand on your leg and arm around your shoulder. And here's why, because they love each other. They love each other. And one of the ways they express that is through physical affection. And so Saga is good about this, too. I'll be I'll be standing there and he'll just sense that I he'll come over and he'll go. And it's like, oh, you ever had a person like that? Here's the thing. It hurts. But what they're doing is provoking. They're irritating. They're agitating because there's something better only when the provocation happens. Your job to each other is to provoke love. Love for who? Well, Love for God and love for each other. Your job is to provoke love and good works. Why? Because we were saved for good works. And again, going back to Romans 12, our bodies are what we offer to God as a living sacrifice. I heard somebody yesterday give a testimony. And as I was listening, I was thinking that actually is the case for so many believers. And the testimony basically was this. I've been a Bible studier all my life, but I've never done anything with it. I finally decided to do something with what I know. Listen, you may know the Bible back and forth and through and through, but faith without works is dead. If you don't do something with what you know, then all you are is a storehouse of spiritual information that does the world and the kingdom of God no good. God is filling you so that you can... Pour it out on others. And here's the spiritual truth. When you willingly give what God has given you, just like Mike, just like you saying, yes, I'll drive a van. You just wanted to serve. You didn't know you were going to become an undercover evangelist. But because you said yes, even somewhat reluctantly, you came to a point where you said, you know what? This is fun. This is satisfying. This is enjoying. Uh, 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 this is uh, uh, joyful. What if God has this marvelous, satisfying life for you? Now, and I say what if tongue in cheek because it's not really a what if, it, it's a he does. What if God has this purpose for you? Doesn't the scripture say in Jeremiah, for I know the plans that I have for you. Now he's talking to a nation, but certainly if he cares about them, he also cares about us. Certainly, if he knows enough to know how many hairs are on our head, he knows enough to know what satisfies us. What if, what if God has this, has, has this house and there are, there's a whole other room in the house and you keep walking by the door because you don't want to reach out. You're afraid of what's behind it. So you don't want to reach out and turn because what if there's boogeyman in there? What if there's scary stuff or what if or what if? And it's, and God in his Patience is just like, you know what? It's there. When you're ready to open that door, you go and open it. You open the door and you go in. You're like, man, here's, here's, what, here's what you'll say. Why did I wait so long? So we are to be provoked by each other to love, love for God, love for each other, and to good works. That's why my job is so fun. Tomorrow, you get a chance to go to Pensacola State College and serve hamburgers to a bunch of hungry college students, some of which know Jesus, many of which don't. And you being there is saying to them, 
God truly loves you. You're like, that doesn't make sense. It really does. Because God is at work all the time. All the time. Heard another story last night about a guy who was driving down the road and he saw somebody walking. Guy had a hoodie on and he looked kind of out of it. And so the guy wrestled with God. You know, we always like to wrestle with God and test. Do you really want me to? No. It's like, do I do it? No, I don't. He finally turned around and he stopped and he said to this guy, hey man, I don't know what's going on, but I just want you to know I want to pray for you and prayed for him and then went on his way. That was it. Didn't find out what was going on, none of the details, nothing. Not too long after that, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, they ran into each other somewhere and the guy said to my friend, said, listen, you're the guy that stopped when I was walking down the road and you prayed for me. You have no idea what I was going through, but I needed that. Right then, you made a difference in my life. Listen, those God sedents are normal. If you'll just listen, the way you listen, come all the way back, is because somebody else is provoking you to love and to good works. So the next verse gives us a very clear picture of our responsibility. It says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, the easy thing for us is to make church optional and to put it on a list that is even with every other responsibility in our life. Now, listen, we can also go the other direction and make church an idol. That's not what I'm talking about. Church should not be so prominent that you neglect your family and you neglect your job. And all. I'm not talking about that, but... To make church, and when I say church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about the family, the people on your right, the people on your left. To make the people of God, your church family, a priority in your life is to invest in your own life and to invest in theirs. Without any question, the people that I've seen the most spiritual growth in their life are the ones who have been faithful and consistent to a local church body, especially when it was hard. Here's why that works. Because it's hard nine times out of ten because of a relational problem. The easy thing to do when there is a relational problem is just to pack up your toys and go home. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. But most of the time, when we just pack up our toys and go home, when it's a relational issue, what we're doing is we're ignoring the problem by running from the issue. So in other words, we're ignoring the problem by running from the, the symptom. The relational, prop, the relational issue is not because of relation. It's something else. There's something underneath that's causing that relationship to be broken. And when you don't stick it out and settle that relationship, what you do is just take the brokenness somewhere else. So if you really want to be healthy and if you really want to grow, deal with the relational stuff. And then if you need to move, move. But but if you just if you just pretend like leaving or changing is going to fix that, it's not going to fix it because it's something deeper most of the time. Now, having said that. Our commitment to the people of God should be a high priority in our life. Here's why. Because Monday and Tuesday 
and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, six days out of the week and really seven, everything in your life is screaming for you to move away from Christ. When you gather, you've got people who are like, yeah, I get it. I've been there. I've been struggling with this. You, oh, you're struggling with that too? It means that you've got people cheering you on. And what's really cool, if you look in the very next chapter of Hebrews 11, it's not just these people that are cheering you on. There's a whole line of people from the ages, people of faith who are a cloud of witnesses, who are cheering you on to finish the race. And so you spur and I spur, we spur each other on to love and to good works. And also it says that we're not to give up together, meeting together, uh, but we're to encourage each other. And then it says the why. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, there's coming a day when the judgment of God will fall. There's coming a day when the world is going to be totally upside down because God is going to Gonna, gonna, gonna send his son and you know the, the whole revelation thing. He's gonna make all things right. There's coming a day. So our hope is in that. But before that happens, we've got to make it through today. The best way to live is in community with somebody else who loves Jesus like you do. All right. So all of that, that's part one. Part two was, is, is the, okay, well, how do you go from Okay, yeah, I'm supposed to be a part of a church to being a member of a church. Well, the way we get there is much like choosing a restaurant, right? So you, you get a bunch of people together. So let's go eat. Okay, where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. And what you do instead of choosing a restaurant, you eliminate restaurants. And then whatever's not eliminated, that's where you go, right? That's kind of the way we get to it on this. So here's a couple of questions that we have to look at. Hebrews chapter 13, just a few pages to the right in your Bible. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says this, says, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over you, or keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So two questions come to mind. If church membership is not a thing, if, if it's not a biblical thing, if it's not a necessity, then two questions out of this passage come to mind. Number one, who are you submit to submit to? And then two, who am I accountable for? So membership is simply saying, I choose to connect myself to that group of people. And look, membership is part of life in every spectrum of life. You're a member of Sam's Club or you can't go in. Well, you can go in, but you can't buy anything. You're a member of the YMCA or you can't go use their weightlifting equipment. Obviously, I'm not a member of the YMCA. You have to be a member of the band. You have to be a member of the baseball team. And here's the here's the thing I don't get. Why are we members of all these other things? And yet we we and, and when we're members of those things, here's what they tell you. You show up every time. No excuses or you're gone. I mean, is it true? If you've been a part of the band, you know that you got to be there. You, it doesn't matter if it's um, holiday season. It doesn't matter if it's spring break. Doesn't matter if your family's going on a vacation to Iceland. You got to be there. It's amazing to me. And yet, when it comes to the when it comes to the most important thing in your life, the people of God who will keep you going. When somebody dies, or when you go through monstrous tragedy in your life. 
The people that show up are the people you're in community with. And the people that give you advice when you don't know where to turn are the people that you're in community with. And when you know them and you hear them speaking the word of God to you, it soothes your soul unlike you can find anywhere else. So membership in every other aspect of life makes sense. But in this context, if you are to submit yourself to the, to the elders and pastors, then who do you submit yourself to if you're not a member? So like if you, if you just attend, why do you submit yourself? And, and if that's the case, if, if, if there's no boundaries for that, do you just submit to every leader, to every elder? Because that would mean somebody in Shanghai who's a pastor, you would be responsible to submitting to. You don't even know them, right? It just logically doesn't make sense. On the flip side, the Bible tells us that elders, pastors are responsible to shepherd the souls and we are to be held accountable for the people that we shepherd. How do I know who I'm responsible for if you are not a member? Furthermore, do you even have a right to expect to be shepherd if you're not a member? That's a harder question. Now look, this is, this is dangerous because you might hear something I'm not saying. But what often happens within the church is... We have people who come and they, they, they take, 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 take. They, they don't really divest or, or invest themselves. It's more like, hey, I'm here. I get the youth group. I get the kids group. I get the music. I get the preaching, whatever. But, but they only show up on their terms. And then something happens in their life and they're not connected with. They don't get a call or they don't get the care. And then, then they're offended because, hey, how come you didn't shepherd me? Wait a minute. You come like every four weeks. How do I even know something's going on? Again, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying there. But if you want that kind of relationship, it has to be a, a true relationship that's two-sided. And let me be clear. I'm not talking about just me shepherding you. I'm talking about the person next to you shepherding you. Because they're better at it than I am. Thank you. That's true. You are better at, at, at loving your neighbor than I am. Here's why. Okay? A person only has a certain capacity to be in relationship with another person. You can only be really good friends with X number of people. And then you're going to start forgetting things. That's why you don't call 100 people every day to check on them. You call two or three or four people. Listen, guys, it's impossible for me to call everybody and know everything. Not only is it impossible, but it makes me in a position that's unfair to you and to me because I will fail you. But when you're connected to the body, you connect with two or three other people. and You guys are a team. You guys, you guys know when something's going on. My wife is a great example of this. She has a handful of people that she's always talking to. Now, she talks to other people outside, but the real deep, meaty stuff in her life, I know when she's having those conversations because she's doing the dishes or she's doing something. It's on speakerphone. I'm like, oh, y'all have good. So she, she calls somebody. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But, but you have that same thing. But the way you get that thing in the body is to actually say, I want to be a part of the body. 
I don't just want to come and go. I want to invest myself here because it's about you and it's about me. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing, very quickly, is if you turn to Romans, um, Romans chapter 12. I mentioned it earlier in verses 1 and 2, but Romans 12 gives us an understanding of what the body looks like. So again, you, you, we've deducted if there is an accountability, you, there has to be some sort of membership to know who's accountable to whom, right? Romans chapter 12 tells us that there is a body and in that body there are many gifts. And those different gifts are for the purpose of building each other up and for building the kingdom of God. Now here's the thing. If there are gifts that are given to the body, how do we use those gifts? How do we flesh those gifts out, practically speaking? Well, in the military, you have more than one sniper. You have a bunch of snipers, but you never have a team of snipers. You never have like eight snipers that are like this sniper team, right? They travel all over the world as a team of snipers. No, you have eight snipers and those eight snipers are on eight different teams because you have in each team specialists who have a job that make that team complete and they can go any like a SEAL team. They can go anywhere in the world, do the job with precision because they're all highly trained at what they do. The church is almost like that. I say almost because we're not out about killing people. We're out about saving people, right? I mean, it's a little bit different. And, I, and I, actually, I shouldn't have said it that way. That's not what they're about. It's just part of their job. So here's the thing. When you become a Christian, you become a part of the family of God. But the family of God has units within it. It has sons and daughters and grandparents. And so you're a part of the larger family the, the, the Marines, but you're also all the way part of a, of a, of, see these terms just kill me. It's not a company, but, but a battalion, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have these different divisions, a big group, a littler group, a littler group, and then a tiny group, right? That's what the church is like. You've committed to a few people, but that few people commit to a larger group of people. That's the church. And because you've committed to a larger group of people, your skill set is valued by each person. And because you have this super special spiritual gift, God has placed you here, if he's placed you here, because we need you. Here are some of the gifts. Service, faith, teaching, uh, exhortation, which is encouragement, giving with generosity, leading, um, mercy. All of these different gifts is what you use to spur or to provoke the other person to love and good deeds. Now I want to you to take you out of the equation. You take your gift of giving. You have a supernatural gift of being a giving person. You stay home. We suffer. Because you're not provoking us. To being generous. That's how that works. The person who's encouraging. They stay home. And we all suffer. Because that encouragement. Is not being given. So when you come. When you join, when you say, I want to be a part of that group, you're saying, I want to use what God has given me to be a blessing to the church, but also to the whole world through the ministry that that church does. So there are other things we could say, but because of time, we're going to have to kind of, kind of bring the ship in, into the port. So how would a person become a member of a church? Well, being a member of a church, and, and part of the reason for this message is because I've had a lot of you ask 
in the last couple of months. Hey, am I a member? How do I do it? This is, this is how. Being a member of a church requires two things. Number one, you must be born again. You can't be a member of the family of God unless you're born again. Because the family of God are for, is for people who are born from God, right? So being born again means you've trusted Jesus with your life. You've confessed your sin to him and you've said, God, save me. Make me part of your family. So born again. And then second, baptism. Baptism is the first step of obedience. But for us, baptism is an important part of being a member because you're identifying publicly of what's happened internally in your life. So baptism and uh, salvation are the necessary requirements to be a part of the church. How do you do it? Well, there are three ways. Number one, through baptism. So if you've never, if, if you've, if, if either you've trusted Christ and never been baptized or you've never trusted Christ and, and now's the time to do it, then you say, you know what? I want to know Christ. I want to follow through in baptism. And that baptism actually is your entrance into membership of the church. So by baptism, that's one way. The second way is by letter. Now, letter means you're a member of another Baptist church somewhere else and you are moving your membership from them to us. Now, used to be that when that would happen, we would fill out a card and we would send it to that church and that church would go through their card, in, uh, card index, you know, because that's the way they did it. Like the old library system, they pull out the card, they put it in an envelope and they would send it to us. And then we would take their card and put it in our file. We don't do that anymore. Now we go and send it and it's, it's all digital. But that's essentially and the reason for that is we want to know and, and it doesn't always work this way. But we want to know, are you coming as a healthy person or are you coming just leaving problems that you're going to bring over into us? That's an important thing. If you've got issues at your other church, we want you to deal with those issues the best you can before you come over here. Because if you don't, you're going to bring them here and it's going to be the same thing. And we love you and we care about you. But one of the things that we do is protect the unity of the body of Christ, because that's the easiest way for the devil to get in and to cause division and turmoil. So we want to know, are you a healthy member? Yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, we don't go, do they ever sin? I mean, no, of course not. But it's, are they a healthy member? Yeah. Okay, well, great. And sometimes they might say, you know, they're really not healthy, but I think it's just because they, you know, this, okay, well, great. That helps us to know kind of how to minister to you and with you. So by baptism, by letter, and then the third one is by statement. Maybe you're, you weren't a member of a Baptist church. You were just a member of a, a non-denominational church or Presbyterian church. But you know Jesus and you've been baptized. Statement is, hey, I know Jesus and I've been baptized, but I want to connect here. It's that simple. Now, when you do that, what we do is we enter into this agreement for, as a church into you. We say, look, we're now partners in ministry. You're, you're now part of this local family. It's like you got married and now you're the son-in-law. You know, I was actually thinking about this. this. This is it. I was actually thinking about this. So we went skiing this past week for our Christmas uh, time with our kids and my new son-in-law, my middle daughter's uh, husband. And, and he didn't pay for the skis. He didn't pay for food. He didn't pay for the, for the lodging. See, that was a gift that I was giving to my kids or our, our kids. But because he married into the family, he got the blessing and the gift the same as what we gave to our own biological kids. 
When you become a part of the family of God, especially when you become a part of a local church body, it's the same thing. You get all the rights and privileges of being part of that body. But you also have the responsibility. So in other words, my kids had to cook and do dishes. So did my son-in-law. So it works both ways. So, having said all of that, I have two questions. One, do you know Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin? It is by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. You can't earn it. You won't deserve it. It's truly a work of God inside of your life that's given to you by faith. Two, are you a member of a local church? If you're not, is God leading you to be a member of this church? If the answer is yes to that part or to the first part, I want to invite you to move your feet. Make a decision. On the card on your, on your seat there, um, there's a way that you can say, I give my life to Christ. And there's also a way to say, I want to be a member. Now, if you don't know whether or not you're a member, listen, that's my fault. I've not done a good job at talking about this. I just haven't. And I, I ask you to forgive me for that because I should have been clearer. There's reasonings for that, but basically, um, this is a new day. And so if you want to be a part of a member of this church, or if you're not sure and you just want to make sure, sure, right? Just say, this is what I want to do. Um, and then from that point, we'll just act and be family. Okay? You're entering into a relationship. Does that make sense? Another one of those things about, being a mem about whether or not membership is real is that church discipline is a real deal. How do you know what to, who to discipline if you don't know who's part of your family? I don't discipline somebody else's kids. I only discipline my own kids. At least I did when they were my kids that were little, right? So as a church, how do we know how to do that without... Oh, by the way, I just realized that's a great way to, to ask people to be a member. Hey, you want to be disciplined? Actually, the truth is, I do. I want you... To help me move closer to Jesus. Because you don't love me if you don't. I want you to love me enough to help me in those areas. And I want to love you enough to do that as well. Amen?